Welcome to this bonus episode of Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. My partner over there is Jim DeRigatis. We both had a bunch of things to talk about this week that couldn't fit into our regular show. So we're going to split this bonus episode. It's going to be half Jim. You're going to go first. What are you going to bring us, Jim? I recently interviewed Matt Muse, a hip-hop artist from here in Chicago, darn good one, to talk about his music, including the last single, Rapport, and this great holiday uh, drive that he's doing. Absolutely, Jim. Uh, in a city teeming with great hip-hop artists, Matt is uh, very much at the top of the tier. Uh, for my part, I'm eager to pay tribute to a few artists who recently passed. We'll get into it all in a minute on Sound Opinions. We are back. First, let's dive into my conversation with Matt Muse. Hey, man, thanks for taking time to do this. How you doing, man? I'm chilling. It's, it's good, to, good to be here. Thank you all for having me. Well, I've been a fan for some time, but I want to start with uh, uh, this current project, which is exciting. Uh, you're doing this Nappiness Hair Care Drive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, second, second year in a row, right? Yeah, third year, actually. And this came out of uh, Love and Nappiness, your 2019 EP. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, in 2019, I released the EP called Love and Nappiness. And it was like a grueling summer, just like grinding it out and doing my first headliner and all of that. And so mm-hmm. in the fall, I was doing a lot of relaxing. And then I was like, yo, like, I want to do something that involves giving back. Like, I had been wanting to do some type of giving back for a couple of years anyway, um, just because yeah. I, I believe in, you know, community efforts and mutual aid. And... It honestly just randomly came to my mind. I don't have like a cool, <laughs> like a cool explanation <laughs> of it, but yeah, I was like, "Oh, wait a minute, we should do a hair care drive, and it should be called the Love and Happiness Hair Care Drive." And that's kind of that's how yeah, it, yeah how it happened. <laughs> well, you have been somewhat obsessed with hair. Yeah, it's a recurring theme in your yeah, in yeah. your. Uh, now, now, right now, your your hair looks shorter than it's been. No, it's not. It's not shorter. It's just look. Let me show you. Yeah, and then it's in it's in twist, you know what I'm saying? Like probably the last time you ah, saw yeah. me saw me, it was in the fro. But it's in yeah, the twist now it's because huge. yeah, it's so long. I have to like take better care of it now. So I have to put it in these twists to kind of keep oh, it there yeah, you go. keep it smooth. But no, it's like probably two times longer than the last time you saw me. <laughs> well, um, you know, the thing that strikes me about the drive that you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're asking people to give unopened uh, self-care products, mm-hmm. basically. Hair care, skin care. And, you know, I mean, we think of uh, of food drives and, and basic needs, you mm-hmm. know, and diapers for victims of the hurricane, right? But it's like there's more to living. And, and I mean, there's, there's a, a particularly compassionate thing I think you're doing here mm-hmm. is people uh, who are struggling should be able to take care of themselves. Yeah, I think... Yeah, you you said it almost perfectly. Yeah, like I I think that for for me it's like I look at other other drives and I'm like, yo, like I definitely think that we should also be giving necessities, and, and that's why we do have the 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 personal hygiene products and stuff like that. But also like when it comes to like self care products, folks in in positions of privilege are able to access those and use them at will. And in a lot of cases, especially with black hair, some of those products are necessities. Um, and so in this case, I, I do want to give people like the opportunity to use something that if maybe they were better off financially, they would want to use it, even if it's not like a bare necessity. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, yeah. to just give yeah. give people the opportunity to take care of themselves properly. First and foremost, that's why I want the natural hair care products. But then after mm-hmm. that, like indulge in something that folks in privilege get to indulge in very kind of loosely. You know what I'm saying? And I think that the yeah. last part to yeah. it is like. If nobody equips you with the knowledge of, 
you know, some of the dangerous products and I mean, dangerous ingredients in some products, you might not even know that the shampoo you're using is not good for your hair. You know what I'm saying? And so I hope this also yeah. gives folks the opportunity to learn like, oh, maybe I should be attempting to use a different product. Um, and so there's that part of it, too. Are you sure, Matt, in an alternate world, you you wouldn't like to be a barber or stylist? <laughs> That's, funny. That's funny. I think for me, it's just like I I was raised by two parents who had no issues being experimental with both their hair and me and my siblings hair when we were growing up. I had dreads when I was like very young. My mother had dreads my entire upbringing. She recently cut them off. And like my dad, he went from braids to like a, a little fade to twist. You know what I'm saying? Now my dad, had, he has gray hair, but he has these long, beautiful dreads now. And so like hair has just always been a form of self-expression in my household. And so for me, like the the love for hair and then also like my aunt, she uh, owned a, a hair salon in Chicago called Naps on the Nine. And she also braided our hair growing up. And then her daughter ended up braiding our hair after that when we were growing up. So it was just my family was all about hair. And I think that's where the, the love for it comes from. Uh, I, I don't think I would ever be a stylist myself, but I just <laughs> love hair. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. a beautiful way yeah, of self-expression. Yeah, yeah. uh, so, you know, I've been following your career for a while. And I, I have a confession to make. Yeah, yeah. Uh, your your mom is a friend of mine yeah. <laughs> uh, who, who helped me enormously to understand the trauma that R. Kelly's victims were going Word. through. Okay. You know, uh, she works in the community as a therapist and she's an educator and and of course she went to Kenwood with Robert Sylvester. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, she's in my book. Uh, so I've been following your career for a while. You know, I've played you as a buried treasure on Sound Opinions. Love. And uh, I really wanted to play Rapport, your latest single, mm -hmm. right? Because there are a couple of really lousy songs in Chicago music history that mention Lakeshore Drive, okay. right? <laughs> and then there's a couple of good ones. I'm not a uh, I'm not a huge Smashing Pumpkins fan, okay? But in Tonight Tonight, when that line comes, you know, the city song. by the lake, yeah. right? <laughs> you know, it's about driving on the drive, right? Yeah. But I couldn't because you got too many cuss words oh, in Rapport. So sorry, C couldn't play it on public radio, man. <laughs> so I got a clean version. If you would have asked me for the clean version, I would have sent oh, it to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we may double back to that. I'll Let's drop it, it in here. Let's I didn't know it. you had a yeah, clean yeah, version. Yeah, yeah, I do. I'll, I'll send it to you. I'ma put you back out. Stuck and drop you back out. Till I hit the world shout. Shout, shout, let it out. Sing along with my mouth. Feeling my touch is old. It's old and I just struggle. Can't no amount of rivals. Block me out from my goals. Was on a red line of typos. Headphones loud with my eyes closed. See myself the day that I float. See my notes flipping my load. So let's win, let's make it final. Cause it's destined to something I know. Hey. It poses a serious question. Yeah. You know, now. To some in Chicago hip-hop, uh, these are dirty words, right? Mm. Uh, you are a conscious rapper. You are you are not disrespecting women. You know, you are not spewing hate. Common and Kanye have been heroes of yours. Mm -hmm. you've, you've given interviews saying these guys were inspirations. Definitely. I know Rhymefest you've worked with, right? Uh, young Chicago authors. But you don't shy away from the N word. Nah. So I've always, I always said when I get to talk to Matt, I'm going to ask him. I'm going to ask Dexter, Matt, mm -hmm. about about that. Right? I mean, it's a word I can't say. It's a word no white music fan or critic should say. But you don't shy away from it. Um, what's your thinking there? You know, first and foremost, I look at the word as a term of endearment amongst people of color, and I believe that because of the idea of reclamation, um, which is when a group of people have been hoarded or, or damaged by a word, they can they have all right and power to take that word and make it what they want. 
because of my belief in that, I don't, and you know, if, if when I'm given the opportunity to say this, I, I say it very confidently, you know, I don't believe that anybody who's not of the same race as me should even try to stop me from saying it. For example, I don't know if you, you know, heard about when uh, Tim Anderson got suspended after that, like brawl with the, the Royals after he threw the bat a couple years ago, and it was like a big deal. Part yeah. of his suspension was because he said the N word in that little brawl. And I was just like, that's ridiculous. Rob Manfred should have no right to tell a black man that he suspended from MLB because a black man said the N word. I don't care if you suspend him from the, for the brawl, go ahead. But the fact that that was part of it, to me, continues a very toxic uh, trait in this country of white men in power, dictating yeah. what black and brown people can and can't do and say. Um, and then to specifically do it with a word that white men started using to, you know, harm black and brown people. It's just like this really twisted, almost like emotional or mental abuse is kind of how I look yeah. at it. And so for me, um, it's a word that I, I, I use it in my personal life. I, I have no issue with the word. And because it's it, I want my music to be reflective of how I talk and who I am, I tend to say it a lot. And I say it in songs just like how I say it in sentences when I'm talking to my friends. Uh, and I think on top of that, like I said, in terms of reclamation, like I think that the word has now changed. And not only should and are Black people using it how they want, they also should be allowed to dictate who can and can't say it. And I'm A-OK with that. You know, do you think that that mindset, do you think it transfers to other words? Like, I don't hear you say the B word. Yeah, because I, I, I believe that the B word has been used to ridicule women. And so yeah. I believe I have a lot of friends who use it as terms of endearment with their friend, women friends who use it as terms of endearment with their women friends. And I think they have all right yeah. to do that. And I think conversely, I myself am in a body that has, has perpetrated the negative use of that word. And so I yeah. shouldn't be, not only should I not be saying it, but I also shouldn't be dictating the way that other people use it. My mom also does not like that word. And so a big thing for me growing up when I first started rapping was to make sure I never said it in my yeah. raps because she made it very clear when we were growing up how much she hates that word. You don't want to tick Yeah, Charlene no, we don't want that. And, yeah. that, and, that, and that. But that lends to, that also lends to the thing I'm talking about. If my mom one day wakes up and is like, actually, I'm going to start calling all my friends the B word. I'm like, yeah, hey, you got the right to do that as long as they're okay with it. You know what I'm saying? Because you yeah. obviously experienced something with this word that made you hate it. Um, and so that's why I don't use the B word. I, I, I live in a body that has perpetrated the use of it negatively. So I have no right to be saying it or telling people how to say it. You know, as a great artist and as an educator with young Chicago authors, I knew you would have an ideal answer <laughs> for that. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, uh, you know, I teach at Columbia College. I have a big first-year uh, students. I have 300 oh, in wow. two sections. Wow. Uh, we talk about music and media in Chicago. We get to the hip-hop class, you know, and they want to talk about Chief Keef. Uh -huh. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, all right, let's listen what is he saying <laughs> you gotta give you gotta give him his flowers though man chief keith he i get it i get you know the what you just said but i also yeah. kind of look at it like that he's a voice for people who were voiceless at that time you know what sure. i'm saying he's sure, a pioneer sure, sure. for a whole section of chicago that was being completely ignored not only by the city and it's still being ignored by the city itself but if you think about hip-hop obviously yeah, yeah if you think about hip-hop like there hasn't always been a lane for people who weren't conscious like it's just like when right. when when yay got signed all it was was gangster rappers then yay got popular and then chicago kind of made it like this weird thing where if you didn't talk about backpack rap you weren't a good rapper do, do you think there was a period like that because oh, i mean from my I think perspective we still might be in it but 
That's, really? Yeah. You know, ahead, I, from my perspective, having covered Common from the beginning, mm-hmm. right, when he was still Common Sense, yeah. up to the present, it always seems to me that Chicago's been written off. And that's another question I wanted to ask you. You know, granola eaters, backpackers, goody-goody, you know. I mean, here you are doing a hair care drive for people. And, you know, it's almost as if, well, Chicago's not real. Those guys are all soft, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I wonder if you've wrestled with that because you've got humor you've got uh, uh tales from the streets you've got songs about family right i mean you, you you touch on the full 360 of black life in chicago yeah right mm-hmm. you know and and i think that's the chicago tradition you know when commons rapping about how am i a good dad yeah when kanye is rapping about being at his grandmother's deathbed you know, in roses, right? Or not making enough money to take the bus to the gap where he's trying to Go make to work, money, right? right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you're in that tradition, but it always seems to hang over Chicago hip hop that we're soft. I don't know. I'm not I'm not super well versed on, you know, when Com first came out or even like the 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 beginnings of Kanye's, you know, popularity in Chicago specifically. When I first started listening to hip hop, it was much more on a national scale. I didn't get into the Chicago music scene until I started rapping here a few years ago. My my thoughts is like, I'm kind of looking at it more, you know, now from like a mainstream versus underground slash indie vibe. You know what I'm saying? I think that Mm -hmm. there isn't a lot of space for specific types of rap in the mainstream. I think that mainstream media and mainstream music, they like specific figures. So like, this person's going to be our conscious. This person's going to be our party rapper. This person's going to be our mix of the two. And there isn't space for anybody else, you know, in there and so they end up automatically being underground and you know i think that the cool thing about at least 2021 is i think that a lot the, the internet has made this thing where like you can diss a person all you want to like when when Khaled dissed tyler the creator a few i don't know yeah. if you if you heard about that a few years ago when when he didn't have the number one song on billboard he's like who is this guy and, and the whole world was like what do you mean who is tyler the creator like what are you, <laughs> what are you talking about and, and Wake up. Yeah, yeah and to me that the beauty of that moment was like i felt like it was a triumph for underground artists and for indie artists who aren't doing huge things in the mainstream because it was like yo if the industry don't know the people know and that to me is what's really going to move the industry ultimately and so for tyler the creator to be kind of like exalted in the face of this artist who is internationally known and popular showed me that we've at least come a long way you know and and i think that on the chicago level i don't think chicago people even care if if people think we sissies you know what i'm saying like it it is what it is you know look at what chance did you know what i'm saying through all of that look at what sab is doing through all of that um look at what mick jenkins has done look at what no name has done you know what i'm saying like and i'm missing a lot of people but a lot of a a whole lot of other phenomenal artists are breaking through regardless and i think that that is doing part to the internet being so good at like being like, no, we support you and we hear you regardless of what the industry wants and doesn't want. You know what I'm saying? We don't need gatekeepers. Exactly. We don't care about gatekeepers. Exactly. I hear what you're saying. So in this Metro show celebrating yeah. the hair drive, uh, you're performing with The Mind, collaborated on Rapport, Jamila Woods. Yeah. What a voice. Yeah. Uh, she's been on the show. Oh, nice. Uh, how did you How did you uh, meet? The first time I met Jamila was the, f- I believe it was the first time I ever went to work play at YCA, the open mic. Um, I was in college and me and my friend at the time, well, my girlfriend at the time, we came on the train from school because I went to NIU. And so we were just like, hey, so I had hit my friend up and I was like, yo, what are some open mics I should go to in the city? And he was like, go to go to this one, go to that one, go to wordplay. So it was during the summer. We got on the train. We came up here when we were in there. She was hosting wordplay. And I'm like, her voice sounds crazy familiar, just like her speaking voice. I'm like, where? the? Yeah. And I'm like, 
is that the girl from Sunday Candy? Then I end up talking to her at the end, and she's like, yeah, that's me. And I'm like, oh, what's up? <laughs> Good to meet you. Because um, yeah. like Sunday Candy was like my, one of my favorite songs that summer. Um, and so that was my first time meeting her. And then when I got hired at YCA in 2016, she was the leader of the teaching artist cohort that I was a part of. And we worked together for, I believe, three to four years. I, I don't remember exactly mm-hmm. when she left YCA, but at least three years we worked together. And in that time, we built the... A friendship. I have I have a huge amount of respect for her, so I struggle sometimes to like put the words together to like go to her and ask her for advice and stuff like that. But anytime I talk to her about whatever it is, she's always open and she she I feel like she's found a way to make space for me in Chicago in, in a way that I wanted space. So that's how we met. That's how we know each other. And yeah. through yeah. all of that, she's still like outside of our friendship. She to me is a genius and is one of the best artists. Sound Opinions is a national show, you Word. know. And and but I I wanted uh, to talk to you because the Hair Creator Drive is worth putting a, a spotlight on. And also, I appreciate I that think, so much. Well, and everything that you're doing is is such a part. Uh, it's a model here in Chicago that we have for community. Mm-hmm. So people don't know what Young Chicago Authors is outside of Chicago. Tell me about that. You were saying you and Jamila. Uh, I know Rhymefest's been involved, right? Uh, uh, wh- what is it that the program does? Yeah, so the goal of Young Chicago Authors is to uh, make space for young people through creative writing. Um, that's like the quickest way I can say it. Uh, young people in Chicago through creative writing. So we facilitate programming around writing that uh, hopes to reach young people, I believe, like high school to their mid-20s, so like 14 to 24, 25 type range. And we do it in a various number of ways. Like I said, our public programming is like multiple writing workshops. We have Check the Method, which is led by Iman Loren. We have a new workshop called Under the Mic. And Check the Method is like a poetry writing workshop. With Iman hosting it, it has so many other like unique aspects to it. Um, We have Under the Mic, which is a hip-hop workshop and professional development workshop that I'm leading now. We have a songwriting workshop by Rich Robbins. Uh, Dominique James um, is hosting a personal statement and like scholarship, you know, workshop because she she's an academic, you know what I'm saying? So she's helping young people work on their academic status. Um, all four of those people I just named, including myself, are writers in some capacity. Yeah. You know, the goal is to provide programming to the young people in the city, you know, that they otherwise may not have access to, or maybe their schools might not have these same artistic programs, but we want to always be a, a haven for uh, creative writing, whether that's hip hop, poetry, or whatever else in between. Well, you you nailed it. I think the thing that's inspiring is that whether you're sitting down to write a piece of prose, a poem, or a rap, I mean, it's all the same thing. It's yeah. about it's the power of the word. Or the words, yeah, exactly. Uh, my parents named me Dexter, but you can call me Matt. I hope you still remember. Yeah, we go way back. Me at 16, swearing I'm gonna be a preacher. Me at 21, writing raps and ignoring teachers. Now me at 26, 10 years from you, but searching for a verse to keep the congregation moved. Guess he ain't that far removed. So, so uh, love and happiness. The EP came out last year. 2019 was when it came. Uh, 2019. Out. Yeah, yeah. So, well, yeah, you know. The COVID it's everything together, our- right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> COVID has stopped time. Um, it's about hair in part. It's about family. It's also about uh, love. And you yeah. said, you know, and I remember say, uh, something Brian Eno said uh, years ago in like the 70s. The last thing popular music ever needs is another love song. You know, write about anything else, right? But you took a really unique uh, approach mm-hmm. to writing a set that's largely about love. You know, the crazy thing about the even the concept of love and happiness is that just like the concept of the hair care drive, it literally just came to me. I, I really wish like and, and I and I say this to say I really wish I had like 
or I could remember the specific moment when these concepts come to me, but I really don't. It just be like, oh, hey, you should do this. I was probably driving. But the concept of the album is that every song on the album is is about a different kind of love. So I wanted to take, like you said, writing a love song, but like kind of turning it on its head because I, you know, at the time, especially I'm like, yo, love songs are so corny. Like, and there are some really good ones, but just in general, I'm like, yo, like I personally, for some whatever weird reason, don't like love songs. So how can I make my own love song that fits, you know, what I like. And so each song is about a different type of love. The first song is about God's love. The second song is about intimate love between partners. The three songs three and four are about self-love. The fifth song is about love between friends. And the final song is about yeah. familial love. Well, you even you even researched the Greek terms for the different kinds of love. Yeah, yeah. Like, and yeah, so yeah. In, in the titles are the Greek terms for them. And like, what's crazy is the, the word agape was the one that I was familiar with because we used to do this thing called the agape yeah. festival at our church. And that's like God's love. And, and, and so I was like, huh, okay, we got agape. Like, what if we can, you know, get into some of these other ones? And then I was like, oh, wow. And when I was reading the list of the Greek words that helped me kind of say like, okay, yeah, I should write a song about this one and this one and this one and this one. Um, and they kind of went uh, from there. So is rapport a taste of another EP or an album or what are you doing next? Rapport is a taste of an album. I am mm -hmm. working on an album. And next year, 2022, just like you said, like it's been, the pandemic kind of smashed everything together. It doesn't feel like it's been that long, but like when I look at the math, like it's been two years since I dropped the project and that just yeah. feels weird to say. So 2022, I'm speaking it, you know, we finna start working on it. There will be a new Matt Muse album. I don't know if Report will be on there, well, and it, it was something different from you because, you know, there was a lot more melody and exactly. you were getting away from that kind of flow that you, uh, uh, I don't even know how to characterize it, but there is a Matt Muse flow. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. I'm, I'm going to do something <laughs> different on this one. And that's that's the goal. I will say, I won't give away the name of the album or anything like that, but the goal of the album is to make people feel and think that like, oh, wow, like like a, a bunch of people were like, yo, I've never heard you rap like this. Like I played report for people before it came out and they were like, it was one person who heard the whole song and they were mm -hmm. like, where were you at? Like, did you rap? <laughs> and I'm like, that was me rapping. And, and then it was another person when I when I started rapping, I'm like, is that you? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, that's that's good. Like, that's what's supposed to happen. Like, it's not supposed to sound like the last thing and the last thing. And I think the other thing is the next project will be my first vacation from the hair theme <laughs> music and so i think yeah. it it makes sense for it to sound different like leave that sound with the two projects that that you know i've imprinted that in and then let's try something new with the new project all right well thanks my friend appreciate you so much thank you that's it for my conversation with matt muse greg in a minute it'll be your turn to pay tribute to some artists we lost by adding a few songs to the desert island jukebox Give us a hint about who you'll be honoring. Well, it's a diverse group, Jim. Uh, it, it, just a stunning week uh, for losses in the music world. Uh, I'm going to give you not just two, but three people, actually, that we should be Excellent. thinking about this week. Excellent. Sad, but, but fitting. That's coming up in a minute on Sound Opinions. We are back. Greg, let's hear the folks you're going to be paying tribute to today. Jim, I want to start with uh, Michael Nesmith. I think uh, one of the most high profile of uh, the musical uh, deaths in, in, in the last year, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, when you're talking about one of the founding members of the Monkees, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, let's face it. I mean, for a long time, people thought of the Monkees as sort of this cartoon band. You know, they were a manufactured band. They weren't the real deal. 
you know, they came happened to be coming up during the Beatles era, and they were always compared to the Beatles. Well, the Beatles are real. The, the monkeys are fake. The, really, uh, the birth in rock and roll and criticism of the argument of, quote-unquote, authenticity. Yes, and, and, and now I think uh, we have a completely different view of what the monkeys actually were. Uh, Michael Nesmith, one of the four founding members, as I mentioned, it's not on just one. Mickey Dolenz is the sole surviving yeah. monkey. Uh, Michael Nesmith uh, passed away at the age of 78 on December 10th. Um, you know, he, he had a fascinating life, and, and you can read all the obits that are out there on him because he, he's, just, he's been involved in so many things, the birth of MTV, you know, his... his uh, his projects outside of the realm of, of, of music. But I want to focus uh, on, on music itself because Nesmith, I still think, doesn't get his due no. for what he was able to contribute. Now, I've seen a lot of writers, especially in recent weeks, focusing on the fact that, hey, this guy was the, you know, at the foundation of uh, country folk, you know, or, or alt, country. Alt country. <laughs> alt country, country rock, country folk, whatever you want to call it. And to an extent, there was there, the, the skeptics were jumping in. Well, that was really Graham Parsons. He didn't get in on the ground floor. It was the Flying Burrito Brothers. It was early birds, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Nesmith, okay. So Nesmith started putting out a series of country-focused albums in the early 70s, um, which certainly set a template. They kind of preceded the Eagles, uh, you know, to, to, to the punch in terms of crafting that sound putting out a bunch of records that focused on that sound. The Eagles basically took that sound and made a lot of money off it. Nesmith, yeah. by that time, had quit doing those kind of records because nobody was buying them. Yeah. Um, the other thing to note about Nesmith in regard to country rock is that in 65, when he was a young man in his early 20s, pre-Monkeys, had already uh, written a song called Different Drum, which mm-hmm. Linda Ronstadt later recorded. So this guy was, in fact, a pioneer of the sound. Uh, and, and, and probably is starting to get some credit for it. Again, as, as notable as that is, I want to focus on one other aspect of, Mon- of Michael Nesmith's um, career as a musician. Um, his integral role in, as, as a songwriter and musician within the Monkees. The Monkees never got their due as songwriters, as musicians. Mike Nesmith was all of that times 10. Uh, you think about the songs that he wrote for Monkees albums, Mary Mary, uh, which Paul Butterfield covered, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen to the band, The Girl I knew, knew Somewhere. Check out those songs. They're incredible. But the song I want to I focus on is from the Head record. You and I are oh, big fans. Oh, I know fans. where you're going. Yeah, you I and know I are where big you're fans. going. Yeah. yeah, Head. And I'm glad you do because we love this, this record. The soundtrack was vilified when it came out. So was the movie. Like, it's so weird. It's so strange. Uh, it's a very subversive view of uh, the pop music industry mm-hmm. in fact you know jack nicholson was involved bob rafelson uh these were these were genuine subversives yeah. and michael nesmith and the monkeys were part of the part of the plot i mean it, there's a reason that frank zappa loved these guys you know so yeah. here's nesmith uh doing a track called circle sky from the yeah. head album he plays guitar organ percussion he's the lead vocalist on this track here's michael nesmith at his best circle sky from the head soundtrack on sound Opinions.
The Monkees, Michael Nesmith, uh, Circle Sky. What a song, Greg. Another loss we've got to Indeed. talk about. We do. Uh, in fact, let's 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 go for two more. Um, I, I did want to mention Greg Tate, a yes. great great writer uh, who died at the age of sixty four. These these deaths, I should point out, all happened within the span of a few days in the yeah. first week of December. It's just Ugh. devastating stuff. Tate, uh, some of it's not necessarily a household name for people who didn't read rock criticism, music criticism, but you and I both did. Oh yeah, uh, hugely influential in our in our world. Um, you know, I, I read him first in the Village Voice. Got to meet him at uh, a new music seminar in the early 90s. Nicest guy you could possibly meet. Absolutely. Was knowledgeable about other people's work and could comment on it in a really astute way. And I learned a lot just talking from Greg about about writing. You know, your hero, Lester Bangs, I really think of um, Greg Tate as sort of the um, a, a mirror image of him, uh, you know, in terms of, of African-American writing, the way mm. the poetic use of language, the explosiveness of it, yeah. the musicality that he brought to his writing. And the I mean, larger-than-life personality. Yeah. His, his byline in The Village Voice was Greg Iron Man yeah. Tate. And he, was, he played in uh, rock bands. He was a founder of the Black Rock Coalition, so yeah. we're, we're going to miss Greg immensely. I can't believe he's gone at age 64. And finally, I wanted to mention Robbie Shakespeare, the great uh, bassist, uh, you know, Sly and Robbie. You know, you could never mention one without the other. Uh, Robbie Shakespeare, Sly Dunbar. Robbie died at the age of 68. He was kind of the intellectual half of the duo. You know, uh, uh, Sly was more outgoing, flamboyant. Robbie was more the introspective one. The first time I saw those two guys on stage together, they just started forming, you know, working together as a rhythm section. He was starting to get some notoriety. They played on Peter Tosh's tour opening for the Rolling Stones in Mm. 1978. I saw those two guys on stage with Tosh, and I'm just going, wow, these guys look cool. Yeah. You know, and they were bringing reggae forward. You know, that Rasta reggae sound that was so ubiquitous in the 70s that influenced bands like the Stones. Um, These guys were bringing it forward because of their uh, Afrofuturistic viewpoint Mm -hmm. of of the music, you know, bringing jazz elements into it, using drum machines on their records, you know, starting to invent the sound. But the record that always... Um, blew me away every time I go b- back to it. And the first time that I really, uh, once I started exploring who these guys were after being introduced to, to them by the Stones, was uh, the Mighty Diamonds record, mm. uh, Right Time. And it came out in 76. To me, it was a, uh, a, a signpost of the era. Beautiful harmony vocals. But as great as the singing was, Sly and Robbie were up front in that mix. And Robbie's bass is the signature instrument on that record. It doesn't overwhelm the vocalists, supports them beautifully, but at the same time, they're singing about apocalypse in right time. This is righteous reggae, right? Yeah. And who's, who, what, who's going to be leading the charge into the apocalypse? It's going to be Robbie Shakespeare's bass. Yeah. Right time from the Mighty Diamonds with the great Robbie Shakespeare on bass on Sound Opinions. Right Time by the Mighty Diamonds, a tribute to Robbie Shakespeare, dead at the age of 68. That is it for this bonus episode. Share your thoughts on Michael Nesmith, 
Robbie Shakespeare, Greg, Iron Man, Tate, or anything else on our website, soundopinions.org. Leave us a voice message, and we may even play it on the show. As always, Sound Opinions is produced by Andrew Gill, Alex Claiborne, our associate producer, Sol Delgadillo, and our intern, Mary Bernthal. Our social media consultant is Katie Cott. Thanks for listening.